The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. This week's scripture reading comes from uh, 2 Kings 2, 1-14. Now when when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to the heavens by the whirlwind, Elijah and Elijah were on their way to Gigal. And Elijah said to Elijah, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elijah said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elijah and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elijah, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near Elijah and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets who also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other, till the two of them could go over on the dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please, let there be a double portion of your spirit in me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they, and as they still uh, went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up in a, by a whirlwind into the heavens. And Elisha said it and saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen, and he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And then he took up the cloak from Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the banks of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to one side and to the other, and Elijah went over. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, to, be God. to God. Thanks, Graham. Appreciate that. Good morning, everybody. Uh, this is our last sermon in the series on Elijah. And um, man, he goes out in style, doesn't he? Uh, wouldn't it be great just to go to heaven and, and just be able to surpass the dying process? Uh, so uh, I want to start the message with a question. If God were to show up to you today and grant you any wish that you wanted, what would you say? 
Would you ask him for career success, for financial prosperity, for a happy, healthy family? Would you ask him for a carefree life? What would you ask him for? Now, Jesus says to his disciples, this is a pretty bold promise, John chapter 16, he says, until now, you haven't really asked me for anything. You've asked me for nothing in my name. Ask, though, and you will receive that your joy may be made full. Now, there's a qualifier here to Jesus' promise. Ask me anything in my name. And to ask something in God's name is to ask him for things that he wants. To align our wants with his wants, to ask according to his wishes, to his will, to his plan, to his design. He says, if you ask for anything in that way, I'm going to give it to you. I might not give it to you right away. I might not give it to you in the way that you want me to give it to you, but I will give it to you. I will never say no to that kind of ask. Now, there are two notable Old Testament instances uh, where things were asked of God according to God's desire, and God gladly granted them. One was Solomon. When Solomon becomes king, God says to him, ask me for anything. And Solomon, this new king, doesn't ask for world dominance. He doesn't ask for economic prosperity. He doesn't ask for peace in the land. He doesn't ask for a legacy. He asks for wisdom. I don't know how to do this. I need you to help me know how to do this. I'm over my head. God's very pleased with this ask, not only gives him wisdom, but makes him the wisest man on earth. And so it goes. In front of us is another one of those situations where the young Elisha asks his mentor, the prophet Elijah, for something that pleases God. Elijah is about to be taken up. His life and ministry on earth is about to be done, and it's to, the baton's going to be passed to Elijah. And the senior prophet says to the junior prophet, what can I do for you? What do you want? And his request is, I want a double portion of the Holy Spirit that has been given to you. I realize I'm in over my head. I need a help outside of myself in order to take the baton from you. This resonates with Jesus in the Lord's Prayer. When he teaches the Lord's Prayer in uh, Luke chapter 11, he, he gives us a, a model or a pattern of prayer for how to ask according to God's will, according to God's design, according to God's desires. But then there's another statement he makes in Luke 11. He says, your fathers love to give good gifts to their children. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so here we've got Elisha asking 
not only for the Holy Spirit, but for a double portion of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because there's a certain kind of power, and it's a counterintuitive power. It's not necessarily the kind of power that any of us is going to naturally ask for, but, but it's a power that gives and provides for its recipients three things. Now, stick with me because these are going to sound strange. The power to be held back or to be limited. The power to be replaced and to be okay with it. The power to be forgotten and to rejoice in it. Okay, so let's start with the first one. The power to be held back is one of the things that the Holy Spirit gives. Elijah, this is the senior prophet here. He's the seasoned prophet, and the Lord is about to take him to heaven. And knowing that he's about to depart, he's got this settled, peaceful posture of acceptance that his life, as he knows it, is over. He's okay with it. His life, his ministry, his influence, all of it is winding down. And then when Elisha asks for a double portion of the Spirit, this older, wise man says, you've asked a hard thing. I'm not sure I can give that to you. Now, this, this I'm not sure I can give it to you is coming from a man who has just parted the water, who has not long ago raised a dead boy back to life and defeated 450 prophets of a false god. This guy can get things done. And yet somehow he has the humble understanding in him still that apart from the Lord, he can do nothing. Apart from the Lord, he can do nothing. There's nothing quite as spectacular as an incredibly powerful, incredibly successful person who is still humble and grateful and filled with the recognition that apart from the Lord, I can do nothing because I've got nothing apart from Him. So I remember when I was an elementary student, kids, if you're in here listening, I know most of the kids have been dismissed. By the way, your kids have the choice to stay in here if you want them to stay in here with you. They want to stay in here. They're welcome to do that. If there are any kids listening, or maybe any parents who want to motivate your kids, chime in. This is bad teaching, and it's ubiquitous, and it's everywhere. And I think it's well-intended, but it's bad teaching. I remember when I was in elementary school, and, and probably this happened to you in elementary school at some point. We hear it on a regular basis. A motivational speaker of some sort comes in, and it's usually somebody who's won an Olympic medal or, you know, led their team to win three or four Super Bowls or, or whatever. They've enjoyed great success, and they'll say to all the kids, you can do anything you want. You can be anyone you want to be if you just try hard enough, if you just work hard enough, if you just want it enough, you can be anything you want. That's a lie. You know how I know this? For 10 years, I got on the tennis court for four hours a day to try to get good enough so I could win Wimbledon someday. And if that dream 
that I gave everything I had to fulfill had come true, I would not be here today. I would be sitting in the champion's box at Wimbledon watching Djokovic play Curios this morning. That's where I'd be right now. But I'm not there. I'm here, and I'm happy to be here. I never got a chance to win Wimbledon because I'm skinny, I'm slow, and now I'm kind of old. I can't do everything that I want to do. I also wanted to surpass Michael Jordan as the best basketball player of all time, who is still the best basketball player of all time, mind you. Happy to debate you on that. I wanted and tried and worked so hard, and you've worked so hard for things that did not pan out. Isn't that true? Let's just take a marriage. I want a great marriage. How many people get one? Even as they work hard on it. We can't have everything we want. We can't be anything we want. And it's this conundrum that we have as human beings, right? Because within every one of us is an aspiration for greatness. Because we are made in the image of God. And because we are destined to become like Jesus. And so we can't get rid of the aspiration for greatness. In its pure self, it is a holy aspiration to be more, to experience more, to do more, to accomplish more. It, It actually comes from God because we're made in His image. And so any success, any momentum we experience should be celebrated and embraced with gratitude but we are also held back because also within us are the limitations that have been imposed on us by our fallen nature. We are held back from everything, even our next breath, unless God gives us the power to inhale and exhale one more time. There is a freedom in this, by the way, in embracing your limitations, because if you can really tap into that, you can can take the pressure off of yourself entirely to become famous, fabulous, and limitless. You can just be a human being attempting to live a humble, faithful life, which in and of itself is a demonstration of God's power and a manifestation of God's power. There's this freedom. Think about John the Baptist, right? His, his, his influence is growing. The crowds are swarming to him. And he says to the crowds at the peak of his influence, you see this one over here whose sandals I am unworthy even to untie Jesus Christ? He must increase. I must become less. Then Acts chapter 13 looks back on the life of David. And it says that David, who was a king, who wrote half of the Psalms, a man of great influence, it says that David served God's purpose. This is is what a great vision for your life looks like. He served God's purpose in his own generation. He fell asleep. In other words, he died. He was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. The earlier you can get on board with that vision for your life, the more of a settled peace you will have access to. 
If we can accept the fact that no legacy is necessary, if we can accept the fact that our chief end is not to be famous, fabulous, and limitless, but instead to devote our days to glorifying and enjoying and receiving from and living for our Creator, that settled peace will come. You know, I used to wonder why so many churches, especially older churches, had cemeteries. You know, why use all of that valuable land and decorate it with death? I mean, can't you put some shrubs in there or some, some trees or maybe, maybe a building or something or a parking lot? But why would you decorate all of this land with death? I never understood until, until I walked with my mother and father through her 10-year dying process because of Alzheimer's. And through that process, I, I, I gained what I think is a wisdom from God. And that is, it is good to be reminded, even from childhood, that our days are numbered. It is good for a kid to walk in and out of church every week and be faced and confronted with the reality of death. There is no such thing as a human being who is immortal, except Elijah. We are immortal, and yet we're not. We have to pass through this thing called death unless Jesus comes beforehand. The mortality rate is one person for every one person. The earlier we can start to tap into that reality, the better chance we have of growing wise. You know, being aware of our pending death whenever it happens it will help us to take ourselves less seriously and God more seriously, to treat every day as precious instead of wasting our days, to savor the time that we have instead of wasting the time that we have, to anchor ourselves in a future hope rather than trying to build a heaven on earth that we cannot build. You know, the great Puritan pastor Richard Baxter once said this, studying how to die set me on studying how to live. In other words, we can only live fully to the degree that we understand the reality of our pending death and live in light of the eternity that is to come, which is also a promise of great hope. <clears throat> so the power to be held back, that's one of the powers, of the superpowers that the Holy Spirit gives you. The power to be held back and to be content with it. The power not to realize all of your dreams and be content with it. Secondly, the power to be replaced and to be okay with it. So Elijah here, he is, he is coming off some significant career success. You know, again, it, just with a prayer, he, he defeated very publicly 450 prophets of the most popular religion and of the kings and queens religion in Israel. Wouldn't it be tempting after that kind of success to ride the wave of your acclaim for a little bit, to, to cling to it. You know, I, I finally got here, and, and I, I want to enjoy it for a while, but instead, Elijah stays open-handed with all of it. Instead, what he has in mind is his own succession. Verse 9, Elisha, what shall I do for you before I'm taken from you? You know, there's, there's this humble, settled acceptance that he is about 
to transition. There's this demonstration of readiness in this recently successful man to step out of the way and to entrust Israel to a new shepherd and to a younger shepherd, to an up-and-comer. You know, when my daughters were young, I taught them a mantra uh, from as early as they knew how to talk and as early as they could understand language. And the mantra was this, repeat after me, girls, my dad is the only man I will ever need. Repeat after me. And we would do that five or six times. And they loved it until they turned about seven. And then things changed. And I thought, girls, I thought we would be doing this until you were at least 40 years old. But now our 24-year-old is married and, you know, moved on to another man in New York City. You know, every healthy parent knows that the ultimate aim of a mom and a dad is to let the kids go and to release them into the hands of God and possibly into the hands of another spouse and family. This is true of pastoring also, by the way. Two of the greatest gifts that were given to me coming to Christ Pres were given to me by two different men. One was Dr. Charles McGowan. He was the very first meeting that I had with anybody at Christ Pres, and he's still a faithful member and contributor and participant in our church community. But what he wanted to tell me at that lunch was, Scott, I'm going to be your greatest fan, and I'm available for you anytime in any way you want me to be. I'm also available just to be quiet and not say anything and offer any opinions. I'm just here to support you in whatever way that you desire that. Now, that's incredibly rare for a 15-year tenured senior pastor to just say, I'm ready to pass the baton on to this young, less experienced whippersnapper, to the people that I've shepherded faithfully for 15 years and baptized their kids and buried their parents and so on. But he did. The other was Dr. Wilson Benton, my immediate predecessor, who, when he was able, every single Sunday without fail would slip a note under my door in my office, which used to be his office, which I have redecorated, and he didn't take that personally. And he said, that's the best sermon you've ever preached. And I thought, I don't know how it's possible that your sermon gets better and better and better every single week, but his heart was to encourage, to put courage into this junior minister with the encouragement of a senior minister. You know, there are a few things so wonderful for a new minister than for his predecessor or his predecessors to commit to blessing him and to commit to catching him doing good every chance that they get and to refrain from doing anything that might injure him or his credibility in the community. These men gave me that beautiful gift. I hope when my day comes, I will have some portion of the same spirit that was given to these men to let go and to bless whoever follows me whenever that happens. Now, Elijah here was no different. Not only is this man willing to be replaced, he is willing to be surpassed by the young protege. 
Elijah asks him for a double portion. I want twice what God has given to you. That's a pretty audacious request. And the answer was not that he took it personally. He didn't say, oh, the audacity. Oh, how dare you. Oh, you, you social climber, career ladder climber, you. <coughs> he didn't say anything like that. Instead, he says, you've asked a hard thing, yet. And that word yet communicates a willingness for this young man, for the next in line, to surpass him, to have twice as many hit records, to have twice as many resources, to have twice as much influence, to make twice the dent in the world than he did. He's fine with that if God wills. I can't grant that to you, but God can if, if, if He wants to. Why would Elisha ask for a double portion? I mean, there are a lot of reasons why. Maybe there's personal selfish ambition. Maybe he's just fear, fearful and terrified and overwhelmed by the task that's in front of him, and he's being hyperbolic and melodramatic. Or maybe he actually doesn't want that part of Elijah that's undesirable. Remember Elijah, even though he does all these spectacular things, these miracles, he's a faithful guy. He was also given to melancholy. He mocked people. He had sarcasm in him. And he committed some violent acts against his religious enemies. Maybe Elisha didn't want any of that, and there's nothing in Elisha's life that indicates that he did. And God grants it to him. Elijah is taken up, bypasses the dying process, lucky guy. And then it says that for Elisha, two things fell on him, the Holy Spirit and the cloak of his predecessor, the clothing, the covering of his predecessor, and then he parts the water. God gives him the power. The power to be held back, the power to be replaced, and then finally the power to be forgotten. So, after being taken up, if you keep reading, there's not a single mention of Elijah in the rest of the book. There's no <coughs> explicit, you know, effort at, you know, etching his name on a plaque and having a legacy being remembered by the world. There's no indication that that kind of spirit exists in the senior prophet. And th this communicates a lot of things, but one is that some of the best legacies actually don't have names attached to them. You know, there's this fascinating documentary. Um, I imagine some of you have seen it. It's called Muscle Shoals. And it's about this uh, music studio, this sound studio that was formed in 1969 by a handful of session musicians whose names most people would never recognize if they were mentioned. Now, the remarkable thing about this studio in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, is that they did support and create the sound for artists that we might expect at a studio in small town Alabama. Willie Nelson, Leonard Skinner, Allison Krauss, Vince Gill. But what's surprising is that the sounds of other artists were also created at this Muscle Shoals studio. 
the Rolling Stones, Joe Cocker, George Michael, Paul Simon, Bob Seger, Rod Stewart, Cat Stevens, Aretha Franklin, and, wait for it, the Motown sound. You like the music of the big chill? Thank the guys, the middle-aged white guys wearing Walmart jeans in the studio in small town Alabama. The Muscle Shoals studio creates the Motown sound. And here's the remarkable thing about these guys. They never drew attention to themselves. It was never their ambition for their names to even be known. Why? Because any true, pure artist would tell you that the purest, truest art is not commercially motivated. You do the art for its own sake because beauty is its own reward. In the same way that for the likes of Elijah and Elisha, faithfulness is its own reward. You don't need a claim. You don't need legacy to be satisfied. You need faithfulness to be satisfied. You need the recognition of the faithfulness that God has given to you to be satisfied. You know, there were many artists, speaking of artists, <coughs> excuse me, many artists were ahead of their time and became famous only after they died. Vincent van Gogh, Emily Dickinson, Franz Kafka, Bach, Thoreau, Edgar Allan Poe, Oscar Wilde, John Keats, Galileo, Jeff Buckley, none of them experienced fame in their lifetimes. They all became posthumously, or after death, famous. The same is true of, of those that the Bible lists in Hebrews chapter 11 that we call the heroes of the faith, and these are all Old Testament people about whom Hebrews 11 says, none of them received what was promised to them during their lifetimes. And what they all had in common was that they were all looking ahead to a better country whose architect and builder is God. And of course, they are all also posthumously famous, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Rahab, etc. But even more than this, they've never been forgotten <coughs> by the God who chose to make himself nothing. If anyone was ever held back, if anyone was ever replaced, if anyone was ever forgotten, it was Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who loved us and gave himself for us, made himself nothing. He died, he rose from the dead, and then he was taken up into heaven. And as he was taken up, he sends a promise. You will, see, you will receive power, power, this kind of power, when what? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's actually good that I should leave, because then when I leave, I will send the Holy Spirit, who will not only live around you and with you, but inside of you. And the other thing that Jesus sends is His cloak, His clothing, His righteousness, His ineffable beauty that covers His people who trust in and believe in Him by faith, and who readily say in their failure and in their success, apart from Him, I can do nothing. And without him, 
every legacy is useless. And now the one who remembers us is providing us at his table with an opportunity once again to remember him. And so let's do that now. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for who you are, that, you, um, that it was your spirit that compelled Elijah to be willing and happy to be held back and to be replaced and even to be forgotten because he recognized, even as your cousin John the Baptist recognized, it wasn't about him. It was never about him or his legacy or his name, his good name. It was never about any of those things. It was always about glorifying and enjoying God. It was always about receiving from that God such great generosity and grace and forgiveness, even though he at times was a melancholic, violent, sarcastic man. And yet, what defined him was not those things, but your grace and your willingness to work through frail, feeble, and even sometimes rebellious people. And thank you, Lord, for the humbling that came into his life because of that, and now for the way that he teaches us to be open-handed with everything and to, with John the Baptist, hopefully be able to say more and more as we age and grow wiser, Jesus must increase, I must become less. Lord, thank you that in becoming less, you became more. And, and so here we are, along with churches, faith communities all over the world, remembering the God who was willing to be forgotten, remembering you in your death, remembering you in your resurrection by receiving the body and the blood of Christ through the bread and the cup. We thank you, Lord. Would you give strength to our hearts? Would you give strength to our community? Would you give strength to us, Lord, the kind of power that both of these prophets received? Would you insert that and inject that power into our hearts today as well? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.